Good morning, Ambassador. How are you doing today? Arrow, how are you? Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for being here. I'll tell you what, you've, you, you've, you've released this book at such an incredible time in history because there's still too many people out there that don't know what diplomacy is. They, they you know, if they would at least look it up, but to see it in action is what your book is all about. Well, I tried to write the book uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, when I wrote The Envoy, I was thinking about younger people who uh, want to rise to some particular level or position. And I was a, you know, high school, or excuse me, not a high school, a college dropout, uh, the son of Holocaust survivors, lower middle class in the Pacific Northwest. And I was fortunate in two things. I built an incredible business and I was able to serve our country in one of the most consequential diplomatic posts. And that's why I wrote The Envoy was because I want to have people see that anything in America is possible. One of the things that that uh, when when I when I got the book and everything like that, there's there's been so many changes over there in Europe right now, and 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 so I want to how how do you react to what's happened in in the past? What is it, seven weeks? Yeah, the changes have been incredible, and you know the word change and the European Union aren't often used in the same sentence because things happen very very slowly and carefully over there. Um, most things that the EU does, they need unanimous consent from all 27 of their members. And you, if you can imagine doing anything in Congress where you'd need 100% of everyone in Congress to agree on something, nothing would happen here either. So I have to hand it, even though I'm a critic of President Biden's administration and his policies, uh, I think they're taking the country in the wrong direction. I have to, you know, Credit is, you know, you have to give credit where credit is due. And he's certainly done a credible job of rallying the EU to join the U.S. in its support for Ukraine. And I hope they continue to double down and not take their foot off the gas. Well, I, I like the idea that, that you have given us the other side of it, because it, that's what this country is all about. If we all were on the same page, it, it would, it would, something would go terribly wrong. So we, we've got to have all points of views. Exactly. And, you know... Getting the EU to step up and support Ukraine in the way that they've had. I know we're having some challenges with the Germans who still can't decide how much military equipment they want to send. Uh, but otherwise, they're certainly sending all of the right signals. I'm a little disappointed by some of the members of my party, the Republican Party, that are a little further to the right than I am in talking about reducing Ukraine support, uh, Becoming more isolationist, which I think history has shown is not the right direction for our country to go. Yeah, because we we are in a time in history where where really, I mean, everybody's taken their own. It, it used to be one side versus the other side. It, no, now we've got six and seven and ten different sides and opinions and stuff like that. And and that's why, you know, so I, what I like to do is I like to step back and take a look at the entire picture. Do you go through the same thing where it's like, OK, I'll listen, but we can't react yet? Well, you know something, when you're the ambassador to the EU, as I kind of walk through in the book, uh, time is your enemy. Uh, you know, the minute the president whom you serve is elected, they basically have four years that they can count on. And four years is really fast when you're trying to do big things. So I was constantly, literally and figuratively looking at my watch and trying to take into account the objectives that President Trump wanted to accomplish uh, the resistance from the entrenched bureaucracy that always exists, that frankly resists members of both parties, Republicans and Democrats, if you're not doing exactly what they think is best, and they forget who was elected to set that policy. So 
dealing with a headwind and dealing with a stopwatch at the same time is a real challenge. And so, you know, you drink a lot of coffee because you have a lot to do. One of the things that that I've always had my eye on is this the, the nuclear deal with with Iran. I mean, it's like I mean, I I was right there with the president when he was when he was creating this thing. The the thing is though is that where are we going to grow with this with a world right now that seems to be trigger happy? Well, the nuclear deal, I'm afraid to say, was a failed deal to begin with. Uh, I understand the objective behind it, but what it did was it did something that was incompatible with that objective. It funded the Iranians in a way that allowed them to conduct all of their malign activities around the world because to be a bad actor costs money. It's not free. And this deal gave them the cash flow and the cover to use that money for no good. The other thing it did was it allowed them to violate, even though there were all kinds of checks and balances in place, they violated the deal almost from day one. The problem was those who created that deal, instead of being dynamic about it and saying, you know, situation has changed, let's revisit this again and think about tweaking it or withdrawing from it and changing it. Once they authored it, it was like an artist, you know, painting a painting or an author writing a book. They didn't want to change a word. And that's not how life works. So one of the things we tried to do in the Trump administration was convince the Europeans to get out of that deal. I talk about that in the envoy and, you know, look at another strategy. First, you have yeah. to squeeze them hard until the people realize that their country is not getting the benefit of its rich resources because of their leadership. And he really, really had them on the ropes until President Biden reversed course and decided to uh, essentially allow the cash to start flowing again, which I think was a huge mistake. Right. Right. And, and, you know, and two completely different personalities in the way that, you know, I, I one of the things I loved about Trump was the fact that, you know, other nations watched what America was doing these days. It's like, yeah, yeah. All right. What are the, whatever. And so, and, and, and I miss that kind of leadership where, where, you know, it was a, a stronghold and, and all that kind of stuff. And you were part of that cabinet in the way that you had to be strong too. And you, you, you know, had, you had to cut to the chase and you had to be right there with them. Well, you know, we ruffled a lot of feathers, uh, not purposely. We didn't want to ruffle feathers. But what we noticed in dealing particularly with the Europeans writ large was they had this, you know, oh, we're friends, we're family, you know, you have to be nice to us because we love you and so on and so forth. And all of that is true. But we've shown our love. We've shown our love for close to 80 years since the end of the war by, you know, losing many, many lives, spending many trillions of dollars to rebuild Europe. And you'd think some of that love would come back to us. And it doesn't. It's very transactional on their part. It's sort of like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. yeah. And so Trump, Trump, Trump recognized that. And he said, as I, as I point out in the envoy, he said, look, Let's cut, you know, the BS. Let's get down to what we need, what you need, and let's make a deal, whatever the deal is. But let's make a deal. Let's quit whining about how we love each other. <laughs> well, r right away, I get this this picture of what it was like between, you know, the United States and Germany. My God, I mean, it's like it's like, wow, they didn't want to be with each other. Well, we <laughs> we were laughed out of the room when I gave speeches around Europe talking about Putin potentially using energy as leverage during a conflict. Gee, what happened? <laughs> yep. 
Boy, isn't that the truth? And then the way it affects us nowadays. If you were ambassador right now, what would happen? <laughs> if I were ambassador right now, um, first of all, in order to be an effective ambassador, you really have to believe in the policies of your administration. Yep. I would have a very hard time with some of the Biden policies, and I'm not sure I could effectively serve him. And frankly, President Biden should have ambassadors who can effectively serve him and who can carry out his policies. If I were working for a President Pompeo or a President DeSantis or a President Youngkin or Haley or Pence, I think I would be able to serve them much better because I understand their policies and I agree with them. Man, you just said two words that I love, DeSantis and Haley. Oh, my God, sir. Man, I mean, my, my eye has been on the two of those for, for a long time. Well, there are some very, very qualified people in the field. I, I made it very clear in the envoy that I can't support President Trump going forward, primarily because of what happened on January 6th. Right. Up until then, uh, I could take the good with the bad and and justify it. Well, once we got to January 6th, that was a red line for me. But I still applaud and support the policies that he had, and I think any of those people and others are perfectly capable of carrying them forward. Wow. Sir, congratulations on this book. I could talk to you all day. Man, just please come back to this show anytime in the future. Thank you so much, Arrow. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, sir. Be brilliant. Take care.